Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. -head. To kick off season two of the show, we decided to rank random movies from last year and discuss the best and worst movies we saw. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. Every time I go into the bathroom at Home Depot, it feels like the bathroom scene in The Shining. <laughs> Is someone telling you to say the N-word? Every time I go into the bathroom in Home Depot, I piss on the sink. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it saves water. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Pigs. We are happy to be here for the start of season two. And what we are talking about today is movies from 2020 which is kind of a uh, sour subject i feel like 2020 is one of the strangest years for movies it is a strange movie <laughs> it would it'd be a great movie it'd, it'd be non-stop action all the way through yeah except for you know the uh the two-thirds of the year that were no action <laughs> where everyone was at home everyone was just chilling apparently not watching movies <laughs> So there was a lot of movies that were supposed to come out, and then a lot that didn't come out, and then a lot that kind of just had little quiet, soft releases on streaming services. Very, very weird year to be a cinephile, if I do say so myself. I don't know about you guys, but I spent a lot of my time catching up on old movies that I hadn't seen and not really caring too much about new releases. And then when I finally started caring about new releases about a month ago, because it's like award season bait, yeah, yeah, there's like nothing new coming out that I care about at all. Which is normally, this is the best time of year for movies, is like November, December, and then I guess a little bit into January. Fuck you, it's January. Fuck you, it's January. I've kind of done the same catching up with older movies rather than watching any of the new ones. Even today, I watched uh, two 2020 movies in the last two days to catch up to this list and ended up also just watching True Stories from 1986 for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you also bought that on, on Blu-ray, right? Because of the Criterion? Yes, I did. Did you like it? Yes, I did. I liked it a lot. And uh, the soundtrack, of course, solid as fuck. How we're going to go about doing this is all of us had six movies that came out in 2020 that we all saw in 2020 that we are going to add onto the Wheel of Names. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. What are your six movies, Josh? So you just want me to say them? My first movie is The Devil All the Time. Not The Devil May Cry all the time. The Devil May Cry. My second movie is Sonic the Hedgehog. The last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic. Same, the last movie I saw in theaters. <laughs> no, I really wish I could say the same. And then the first movie I saw in theaters after the pandemic, The New Mutants, is my next one. It's not after? <laughs> yeah, the pandemic's over. Josh just confirmed it on Duel of the Takes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he is Scranton, the new uh, nation's capital of the United States. <laughs> Speaking of white kids, Bill and Ted Face the Music is my next Oh, I forgot I saw that. Oh, good. And my next one is a movie that I actually did not watch, but I think I, I am like 99% sure that I will like, and I wanted it on this list for the You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Ooh, did you see it? No, but I really want to, so... I'm probably going to watch it, like, tomorrow. I'm really excited to hear a lot about this movie from you, Josh. And the last one, I thought it'd be funny to put on here, um, Hamilton. Nice. You're right. It's hilarious that it got put on here. I think it's hilarious that Rotten Tomatoes counts it as a movie. Everyone's counting it as a movie. It might win a fucking Oscar this year. That'd be wild. Disney just bought the uh, rights to everything on it, so I think they're going to make an actual movie with it. Interesting. I don't love that idea. 
but yeah it's probably gonna end up like everything else seems to i'll do my list of six next i've got i'm thinking of ending things charlie kaufman's latest film a netflix original starring uh the new philip seymour hoffman yeah starring the new philip seymour hoffman jesse plemons jesse plemons the latest kino machine yeah uh i'm also putting another netflix original by my favorite working director david fincher mank mark oh shit i never put host i'm an idiot i'll put it on there for you josh <laughs> thank you jory <laughs> i was about to say yeah josh you didn't have host on here you made me watch that shit I was like, that's my favorite horror movie of 2020. <laughs> I'm also going to put... I'm going to put Borat subsequent movie film on here. Straight to Amazon Borat 2. We also got a Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods. Gotta have it on your movies of 2020 list. If you don't, you're racist. I also think it's important to talk about movies that... You know, focus on alcoholism this year, a year where the number of alcoholics in America quadrupled. Uh, we've got The Way Back, starring uh, Ben Affleck. A moment of silence for our fallen friend, Josh Kubis, who developed alcoholism, at least worse, during 2020. That clip of me saying everything is spinning in the DC video. The last movie that I'm going to be putting on this on this list is vast of night i guess like horror suspense movie that got put onto amazon prime video uh it was a festival piece and they just were smart enough to put it out on amazon over the summer people still tried to care about movies i want to watch it it's great jory alden who's next oh yes of course number one uh favorite horror movie of 2020 host the fifth film in the unfriended series <laughs> host is a horror movie that on a desktop and it's wonderful it's it's really creative uh number two black bear the uh aubrey plaza starring movie that uh, a girl at work told me to watch uh that was all right mom what was the best movie you saw in 2020 here she is the season one winner <laughs> <laughs> number three sound of metal starring riz ahmed a wonderful story of a uh a drummer who has to cope with the loss of his hearing. Number four. Did somebody say onward yet? No, but we can have repeats anyway. I, I would rather not. Number four. Onward. We have to bring back a Pixar film. Yeah, we got to bring back a Pixar film because I didn't see Soul yet. Mom, how was Soul? You watched Soul. Soul was fantastic. Soul was fantastic. Okay. Number five. The first movie I saw in theaters after quarantine, Tenet, which I saw with everybody here, almost, and it was a good time. And the last movie, 2020, that I'm putting on is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog again. I'd rather not have repeats than put Sonic the Hedgehog on a second time. <laughs> All right, fine. Then I'll make it at least... No, it's too late. I've already put it on. <laughs> uh, Alden, do you have a less controversial six movies you want to add to our list? I'm going to start with the most controversial one. We Can Be Heroes. Oh, so this isn't going to be controversial then. No one's talking about this. No, it is the worst movie I seen in at least five years whoa scoob really good wish they cast matthew lillard but whatever i have the old guard oh yeah that came out yeah i kind of forgot about it <laughs> i'm gonna put birds of prey on here oh shit that was this year mm -hmm. that was the last movie i saw in theaters before quarantine hit i saw it on a uh, valentine's day number 23 on our dc ranking shout outs to landon i'm pretty sure i saw that movie with covid can we also put wonder woman on there just the have it on there did it not make it no one else has added it oh my god i would have put it instead of birds of prey but whatever no we'll just keep adding shit i guess <laughs> i think we're in need of movies let me see if we're 
missing anything big. I'll put Mulan. Oh, can we put Project Power so I can kill it? I'm just going to be really pissed if I have to talk about Project Power. I didn't even fucking finish it. <laughs> I want to put the half of it on there if we're just throwing Netflix originals on there. That's my last one. Well, who wants to spin the wheel first? I never go first. Alden never goes first. Did anyone want to put the Trial of Chicago 7 real quick? That was the one that kind of stuck out. I I didn't see it. Sure, I'll put the Trial of Chicago 7 on here. I also did not see it. <laughs> did you see it, Josh? I didn't, but I, I'm definitely going to watch it. <laughs> I'm glad it stuck out for you. <laughs> I guess I was the only person who saw it. Aaron Sorkin, right? Yes. It's his second directed film. Uh, he did Molly's Game and then that. And then it's his, like, probably 14th written film. And uh, can we put Vice? Oh, my God. Vice did not come out this year. Although, it would have been a lot cooler if it did. <laughs> Can you imagine if Vice was, like, a straight-to-Netflix, like, came out, like, March 30th? It would have been wild. Like, if everyone talked about Vice instead of Tiger King? That would have been fantastic. That would have been pretty great. Speaking of stuff that's now culturally irrelevant, Tiger King. Yeah, that was a big fucking deal for a little while. It's like Beanie Babies. <laughs> How much are you going to sell your tiger for? Years from now, we're going to be like, hey, remember when, like, society was obsessed with this guy who had tigers in a zoo in, like, Oklahoma? I remember seeing his, uh, like, his presidential campaign announcement in 2016. Remember that shit-tier fucking eighth episode with Joel McHale? It was so shit. Joel McHale is one of my least favorite people post-2020. He always was, but, like, dude, the one part of that where uh, he was asking the dude that uh, the Tiger King's boyfriend killed himself in front of about it, and he's, like, looking at his phone the entire time, like, bro. I'm glad I never watched it, but I do live down the street from a tiger rescue, which doesn't make any sense because I'm in the middle of North Carolina. Well, there's more tigers in domestication in the United States than there are in the wild. That's hilarious. Alden, since you never go first, apparently, you're going first. Last time Alden went first, he went, he, he threw the Bugs Life take on us. <laughs> That's not true. Alden went first like three episodes ago. I mix it up on purpose every time. Alden has gone first within the last month. I guarantee it. I feel like Nate always wastes his first round vetoes on Alden. True. Let's do it right now, even though there's no vetoes. All right, Alden, your first movie of 2020 that you may or may not have seen is... Oh no, I'm sorry, The Fast Nick. of Night. Nicholas Rorman is listening. You better make the right call. Does Nick like this movie? Yeah, he mentioned it in our... Uh, like, it's probably a 10 out of 10 for him. Damn. Well, he also said Onward was a 10 out of 10. He said that this was a movie that made him like realize why he loves movies. Damn. Alden, your next movie is Project Power. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. Alden, I know you like, I know you like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but... Um, I don't think I've ever said that, but... Okay. Do you not like Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Your third and final movie is fitting. It's Mulan. It's the only one that exclusively you have seen. Yeah. All right. And sisters here, my. So now, Alden, you have to kill, fuck, or marry the Vast of Night, Project Power, and Mulan. This is easier than I thought. Uh, I'm killing Project Power. Ooh. Yeah. Josh, if you have anything to say about it, please speak. All I know is that Casey Neistat was in it. In, like, the height of, like, superheroes, like, even though I had so much superhero fatigue, I kind of, like, wanted to give this movie a chance. It's just not good. Like, none of the characters are interesting. It's one of Jamie Foxx's worst movies. Um, One of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's worst movies. 
it was just very disappointing. I couldn't even finish it. It's so boring. Is it Machine Gun Kelly's worst movie? <laughs> I, I think he's only in like the opening scene. He was in Bird Box, so no. <laughs> I guess Bird Box is better because I finished it, but it's Machine Gun Kelly's worst performance probably. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about Project Power. This was a hard skip for me. And then Megan was watching it at one point. I caught like 25 minutes of it and marked it as watched on Letterboxd. Not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's only gonna be a one-time thing with Mulan. Mulan is pegging you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because in the Mulan remake, she's like the chosen one from the get-go. Weird. She's got like the fucking powers and shit, bro. I'm glad I skipped it. Everyone has like a certain level of chi or whatever. I don't remember. And she has a lot of it. This is Dragon Ball. It's like the Force and like Midichlorians. It's like her M count is extremely high. And so she's able to, like, summon a phoenix and shit. Wow. Pretty much. So X-Men Dark Phoenix. It's a fun watch. I watched it on a car ride. I can't watch it again. I just don't think its rewatch value is high at all. Um, it is interesting. I'm glad it took a completely different approach from the original. I'm kind of tired of the awful remakes that Disney's pumping out. So this one was kind of refreshing, but still disappointing which honestly congrats disney that's hard to do that's the one thing i'll say about mulan is at least it's not like aladdin and lion king where it's pretty much just the same exact movie but worse it actually had a really cool trailer i remember that's why i was sort of excited for it if you're just gonna like use the namesake of the movie like they could have just called this like anything they could have called it like shenmue or some shit <laughs> it would have been fine it would have been a, a fine little like disney action movie probably wouldn't have done as well and it didn't do that well excuse me you know a place to get in a street fight <laughs> <laughs> the score was so reminiscent of the music numbers and then like they had characters just say the lines to songs which was really fucking weird like the make a man out of you song was just awkwardly like spoken during a training sequence the training sequence was pretty good with the exception of exactly that it was so off-putting. All right, and you're marrying the Vast of Night. What do you know about the Vast of Night, Alden? Um, that it's Nick's favorite movie of 2020. <laughs> I literally only know like the description of it. It's an extremely, extremely, extremely slow burn movie set in like the 1950s about a, uh, I guess, like a radio host, and then uh, some like high school girl who is like the switch board operator at this radio station who during a big high school basketball game are both interviewing and hosting a radio show about ufo encounters as the town experiences something kind of uh intergalactic in a way and it's uh it's very very slow burn it's less than two hours long but it almost feels like it's three hours long uh, i highly recommend it especially to anyone who likes mostly dialogue and like auditory uh like sensory kind of horror more so than visual hell yeah the ending of this movie is a big yo in terms of visuals so it, it's worth watching at least once this sounds like kubis kino yeah this sounds really good i'm this is like an eight out of ten or higher for me so i'm glad you married it alden i'm really happy and proud of you it honestly wasn't a hard choice sweet Jory, you want to go next? Sure, why not? Your first movie, Jory, is Tenet. Cool. Nice. A film we'll be talking about again in just a few short weeks. Yeah, I probably got the most complicated feelings about this movie. I 
I've been lamenting over it for like weeks. Jory's second movie is Oh shit. The Sound of Metal. Awesome. I'm glad there are two movies he's seen. Yeah, a movie that I really love. Two movies I haven't seen. Oh, then you still haven't seen Tenna yet? No. Third and final movie for Jory is The Way Back. Jory, don't do that to Ben. I can't do that to Ben. Please do it to Ben. <laughs> that picture of him with the Dunkin' Coffees. <laughs> Dunkachina. Listen, Ben is on the up and up. He's starting that relationship with uh what's her name? That Cuban girl that was in um Jory Runner 2049. The one who played Joy? Yeah. Wait, are they dating? Holy shit. I, I'm pretty sure. That's really based. Yeah, she's like saving him. Especially after his redemption arc that just came in the way back. Like, I can't do that to the way back. Just from bringing Ben Affleck back from the hole of depression that the DCEU put him in. Like, I think that that's a perfect fuck because I I haven't seen this movie. I wanted to. What? My God. Huh? I have to do it. I'm in so much support of what this movie means to its star that, like, this was one of the biggest movie news stories of 2020 for me. Like, I'm I'm so happy that he's back. He was, He never left! He was drowning himself in alcohol, and he did leave when he was forced to be in, like, Justice League and not do his own Batman movie. I'm happy about this, okay? He released the movie Live By Night, which was fucking Kino in between that amount of time. Didn't Justice League come out after that? Why are we yelling? I think Nate's upset that I'm about to kill Tenet. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm very upset you're about to kill Tenet over the fucking way back, which wasn't even really that great of a movie for Ben Affleck. I mean, sure, it was like a good little vehicle for him to talk about his alcoholism, but that's barely what the movie's about, and it's not even a good movie. It's borderline exploitive. Okay, I'm still fucking it, and Tenet is getting killed. Listen, listen here, Avatar Stan. Some people like Cameron. I don't think that there was any more positive movie news on what a movie meant to any single particular person this year than what uh, The Way Back meant to Ben Affleck, and I'm really glad that he's on the up and up again. That being said, I'm still killing Tenet, fucking Ben Affleck, and um, and Sound of Metal is going to be my Mary. I really loved this movie. I saw it a couple of days ago for the first time, and uh, Riz Ahmed is absolutely my pick for best actor this year. Maybe I'll like Riz Ahmed after I watch this movie. You really need to like Riz Ahmed. Like, come on, I know the last, Je I know Rogue One, but like everything else he's been in, his he's been fantastic. In. Rogue One, I didn't even mind him in. It was Venom. The Sisters Brothers, he's super good in. Uh, he also holds his own against Jake Gyllenhaal again in Nightcrawler. He's in some Kino machines. You know how like um they do that like Google search thing or whatever where they see like results of them? I think for Rogue One's marketing, they did Riz Ahmed. And they're all the most boring questions like, does Riz Ahmed drink? And he's like, is it just my mom Googling me? I mean, he's not really that big. He was like a minor character in uh, Nightcrawler that like ends up being like the crux of the like big moment at the end um i'm pretty sure the biggest thing besides that that he's been in was uh the night of on hbo a miniseries where he holds his own really well against like john chaturo bill camp and michael k williams yeah i really hope he becomes a bigger name after this because he's been deserving of it for years yeah i feel like he's in a good spot seeing as how they cast him in like fucking superhero movies as a villain like i feel like he's only on the up and up and i agree the sound of metal at least you made one good decision out of your three jory i respect jory all right i'll go next Next. I guess Tenet is about as good as Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I got Wonder Woman 84. Hooray. Batman Forever. Two. <laughs> <clears throat> 
isn't this what everybody wanted? When you said Batman Forever, Josh, that made a lot of sense to me. But I've heard other people, I think it was Red Letter Media, was saying it was like Spider-Man 3. Yeah, that makes sense. I got the Christmas classics. I got Wonder Woman 84 and Soul. The two movies released straight to streaming on December 25th. My favorite Christmas movies. Hey, you know what I watched on December 25th instead? Tenet. <laughs> yeah, and you also watched Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut was the best one. Well, yes, that's a no-brainer. And you watched Vice that day, too. Oh, Vice, that's what he watched. And my third and final movie. Why am I talking about the normie shit? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Speaking of normie shit. You really jinxed yourself there. Wow. <laughs> I live in a timeline where I'm probably marrying Hamilton. And you know what? I kind of agree with you. <laughs> I need to do some soul searching right now. Yeah, Wonder Woman 1984. I've got Pixar's soul, and I've got uh hamilton yeah so like wonder woman 84 is the most fun i've had watching a movie in my own home in the entirety of this year like i wanted to fuck this movie so bad like this movie is wildly entertaining if only for the wrong reasons soul's fine soul is just pixar it's like it's their most okay movie they've ever put out i mean it's not a masterpiece. People are going to tell you it's a masterpiece for about the next year or two, and then they'll forget about it. And then in five years, another movie will come out that pretty much rips off its premise. And people will be like, oh, it's just like Soul, but this. It's it's fine. It's okay. It's another Brother Bear movie. Yeah, they didn't do that in the advertising. They didn't tell you what it was going to be, but it's another Brother Bear movie. Most of the movie takes place with two characters soul swapping into fucking Freaky Friday mode. And then Hamilton, uh, at least it's a great musical it's a little overdone, but it's great. It deserves the praise that it's gotten. I was hoping it would kind of leave the cultural zeitgeist after it was exposed to everyone, but I don't think it's going anywhere, seeing as how Disney acquired the full rights to it as opposed to just the show production and distribution rights. So they're probably going to make a Hamilton actual like movie movie in a couple of years. So who really knows? I'm probably going to marry Hamilton because at least artistically, I think it's the most impressive, if not just for the Broadway musical. And I also think that every Broadway musical should be recorded and distributed in the same exact way that this one was i think that that art form would actually stand a chance in the upcoming years if they just recorded the original cast and distributed it to everyone's homes to watch that'd be nice actually seven camera setup really impressive visuals uh but mostly just capture the performance in front of a live audience it's the only way to do this kind of thing uh, disney did a great thing with newsies uh about a decade ago and it was awesome. They just need to do that with every single musical, rather. Turn it into a movie that you can drop on your streaming platform. 300 people that go see it on Broadway, you know, two performances a day for 300 days out of the year or whatever. It's not enough. It's not enough to sustain an actual uh, industry. You know, what's really funny about Hamilton is that Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator and the lead, is like the worst like actor on that show. <laughs> I think it's just really fun. I think he's good in the role, but it's like he put himself around such like Broadway legends. I'm going to kill Wonder Woman 84 as much fun as I had watching it. Uh, Soul is a better movie, just kind of objectively. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 is a lot more fun to watch, and I will probably be re-watching it sooner, even if it is almost three times as long as the movie Soul. It really just shows how far the superhero movie has come, and uh, the fact that they can still create a movie this bad <laughs> on a fucking $200 million budget or whatever. We'll be re-watching it on a future Duel of the Takes commentary. I would love to. That would be a great episode. Uh, in all honesty, Pedro Pascal as Latino Trump and set in the 1980s 
honestly stole like this entire movie. Probably one of the best super villains put to screen since like Kevin Spacey's uh, Lex Luthor. That was an interesting take. <laughs> Where's Pedro Pascal's Lex Luthor? That's true. <laughs> Josh, are you the one finishing this? I think it is. Okay. I always finish. Excuse me? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right. You got You Cannot Kill David Arquette, a movie you have not seen. And it's a documentary and the only one on this list. You Can't Kill Him. Screen 5. Up next, you've got, you got Mank. Mark. Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mank. And your third and final film is brother bear host 2020 i was about to say i haven't seen any of these movies but host is here so you cannot kill david arquette host and what was the third one mank mark i kind of wish i saw mank because i feel like mm. i kind of wish you saw you can't kill david arquette <laughs> yeah you advocated for it to be honest I have to kill David Arquette, even though you cannot kill David Arquette. But you cannot kill David Is this the reason Josh wanted it on the list? Is this just like Josh and Jory killing Nate's favorite movies of 2020 to prove that they won season one? <laughs> it was an accident. It's ten one of your favorites of 2020 it's in my top 10 i mean i guess technically most of these are in my top <laughs> i'm gonna marry host it was one of my favorite movies of the year and i i, I do want to elevate it in this situation but i can't kill david arquette herman mankowitz is already dead you can kill him fuck it we're gonna fuck david arquette and i'm gonna kill mank yo whoa time for another hard lemonade <laughs> time for another beer this justin uh host Nathaniel Martin cancels Duel of the Takes. <laughs> Breaking news, Nathaniel R. Martin cancels Duel of the Takes, reverses the name to Nathaniel R. Martin YouTube channel. Breaking news, Nathaniel R. Martin, quote, I'm thinking of ending thing. <laughs> Did he grab, I think he grabbed a drink. Uh, he's definitely getting a drink. Sorry about that. I really had to piss. Uh, what What was your decisions? <laughs> oh, no. You, you Wait, you killed Mank? I did. McClunky. What? I can't kill David Arquette. <laughs> Six years waiting for David Fincher Kino for this. All right. Well, and now we have to make a top 12 movies based on our previous killing, fucking, and marrying. The movies that we killed are Wonder Woman 80, 1984, Mank, Tenet, and Project Power. The movies that we fucked are Mulan, The Way Back, Soul, and You Can't Kill David Arquette. And the movies that we married are The Vast of Night, The Sound of Metal, Hamilton, and Host 2020. This was 2020, ladies and gentlemen. This was it. The worst list we've ever made. <laughs> what a way to end the 2020 movie talk. Project Power is easily the lowest in kill. Yeah. It's the least interesting. Yeah, I would watch Wonder Woman 84 10 times before I watch fucking Project Power all the way through. It's really interesting because like this one seems the most clear cut of these. It seems like it's going to go Project Power, Wonder Woman 84, Tenet, and then Mank. That's probably the way it should go. Can I make a case for Wonder Woman 84 going over? <laughs> you could. You could just say that uh, Pedro Pascal has bigger meme energy than Kenneth Branagh. Honestly, after sitting on Wonder Woman 84 for a while, it really feels like it is like, it's one of those superhero movies where like, like, you know how the worst like MCU films just aren't like rewatchable like there's just nothing to them wonder woman 84 is probably the worst dceu films and like i can't wait i can't wait to rewatch it with you guys when it comes to tenet like i don't think it's like a terrible movie by any means but like the things that i found criticism with christopher nolan are like at its height in tenet there's just a handful of christopher nolan movies that 
I would rather watch. There's Christopher Nolan movies I haven't even watched yet, but I will for the next list that I'm sure is going to be better than Tenet. Oh, way better. And like Wonder Woman 84, like you could say the same thing for Wonder Woman 84 with other DC films, but like just sheer entertainment alone, Wonder Woman 84, I could see going over Tenet in it in a scenario well we're already at the point where we've fucking killed tenet so i'm fine with it being number 11 instead of number 10 i'm with it it's bold as fuck and i'm with it <laughs> i at least appreciate the fact that uh patty jenkins was based about the way they distributed her movie instead of a fucking narcissistic asshole uh who's pretentious as all fuck like christopher nolan who was like yeah you're only gonna see my movie in theaters I will not partner with HBO Max to distribute my movie. In all honesty, I think his pushback is one of the reasons that caused uh, AT&T slash HBO Max to do the decision that they did at the end of 2020 that caused every single movie to get the same distribution format of Wonder Woman 84. So good job, Nolan. You're a dickhead. Yep. Can't wait to rank your movies in a couple weeks, though. I love your shit. Yeah. We please be a guest. Nolan. We do love his work. <laughs> He's the closest thing that this generation has to a, a Stanley Kubrick, but obviously nowhere near as good of a writer. Yeah, no. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess the top of our uh, kill list is going to be Mank, a movie that only I've seen. And uh, <laughs> if Josh had actually watched two of the three movies that were out of his selection, he probably would have realized how horrible of a mistake he made. Just just from the trailers alone, Mank does look very good, but I can't kill David Arquette. Josh and I will be watching Citizen Kane in preparation for Mank. Well, that's that was actually something I was curious about, because I honestly, I watched Mank, and in terms of, like, nods to the movie Citizen Kane, very few. Like, I think you'd honestly be just fine watching Mank, not knowing, as long as you know what Citizen Kane is and what's what it's about, what the subject matter is, you would honestly pick up on this movie just fine. You might not get some of, like, the visual nods and some of the stylistic choices but they're not enough to distract you as they're just kind of simple little homages there there's not too much on the subject matter of citizen kane more so about the story behind it which is what the movie's about so it's it's its own self-contained story i know this is a weird comparison but is it kind of like ed wood in a way it's really not like ed wood so much as it is it's really so much about like two specific instances so you're jumping back and forth between this one point in time that is like an election a governor election of like 1938 california or something uh herman mankiewicz has this scorching hot take of being a socialist in this like deep red conservative hollywood because i guess there was a time where it was a hot take to even be a liberal in hollywood and so he's coming from this, like, really, like, he's hanging out with, like, all these well-defined Republican powers, and he's just, like, this loose cannon drunk guy who's a writer who just, they have him around, they call him the court jester because he's just some libtard. And it's, like, literally great. The dude's getting fucking hammered and yelling at all them and saying that their wives are whores. And honestly, this movie, if you guys watched it, you would all really appreciate it. I think it deserves to be on top. It's in the it's in the top ten movies of 20. 20- <laughs> Fincher did it again. Good job, Fincher. We're proud. Can't wait for your Batman movie. Now it's time to go on to the movies that we fuck. You can't kill David Arquette, Soul, The Way Back, and Mulan. I wanted you cannot kill David Arquette on this list because I feel I'm glad I got it because I think out of everybody on the panel, it's going to pertain to me the most. Like David Arquette, for those of you who don't know, um wcw was a large wrestling show he won their world championship and it's kind of been synonymous as like as one of the worst days in professional wrestling and i see it as a huge meme 
I didn't I don't think it's a big deal looking back on it. And the fact that he like wanted to like after all that like hate of it being such a controversial moment in the history of wrestling, for him to actually try to wrestle is like fascinating to me that he like try and not, and he didn't go to like WWE. He tried to be like an indie guy. He tried to be like an indie guy. So he's doing all these like really dangerous spots. And like this is David Arquette. Like he's not like he's not like built like a like your average professional wrestler. So I'm excited to watch this documentary and I find like just that story super fascinating. I did watch most of it. I didn't really dig the way that it was presented personally. It almost felt like the only reason he was doing this was for the sake of the documentary. It was like the documentary came first and then him doing this, you know, wrestling career, like comeback kind of stunt was secondary. And it's very clear in a lot of the interviews with people that aren't him that that's pretty much how it's going down. And I've never seen like a documentary like portrayed this dishonestly. Uh, I had a couple other documentaries on my like personal list of movies that I watched this year. And I didn't really include them, but this was like toward the bottom of those. I didn't think it was even as good as Class Action Park, uh, which was an HBO Max exclusive documentary that I really enjoyed about a uh, amusement park in New Jersey that was like doomed to fail. Like (laughs) they had like death trap water slides and it was it was a pretty cool watch. Uh, This was fine to watch in the background while you're doing something else in the middle of the afternoon. But I can't imagine like sitting down and seeing this in a theater. Yeah, I don't think I'd see something like this in a theater. Only okay movies that we fucked too. The Way Back's not a good movie at all. Like Ben Affleck's good in it, but the story's bullshit. Isn't it a very Christian movie? It's borderline propaganda. Well, VeggieTales coming up in a couple months. Is this just our theme for season two? Season two is like our our Jesus camp, like Christ arc. Nate becomes a televangelist. Oh my God. So it seems like it's going to come down to the way back and you cannot kill David Arquette. So I kind of want to go to Nate's opinion on this. Like just like as pure like entertainment value, it sounds like the way back is like the least, but what would you put in this scenario? Well, personally, if I'm going off artistic integrity, I think Mulan's the worst out of all three of those. <laughs> oh, I forgot Mulan was here. I was waiting. I was waiting so long, trying not to say a word. In terms of entertainment value, You Cannot Kill David Arquette was more entertaining to me than The Way Back. The Way Back is essentially a Lifetime movie that got an A-list star. That's literally all that it is. It's a movie about this guy who's like a drunken asshole who gets like, some time and then has to do community service and then he decides to coach a basketball team it's like shitty coach carter except he's not a good basketball coach and then he starts drinking again at the end (laughs) what (laughs) Uh, yeah this movie has some fucking curveballs in it and it's not none of it's good nate it's called the way back the way back to what the bottom of the list it should have no he's making his way back to alcoholism (laughs) mank has a better take on alcoholism than the way back mulan i think could go on the bottom based on just like Disney actually thinking not only to have a streaming service, but to add that movie to the streaming service. And then you pay an extra $30 to watch this shitty movie. (laughs) Sure. You know what? If that's the reasoning you want to go with, by all means, let's put it on the bottom because it was $30 on top of a Disney Plus subscription. $30, no music, Mulan? Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen the other three and I can guarantee... 
All of them are better. Could you imagine if Wonder Woman 84 had the same distribution model as Mulan? Holy shit. What a flop. It would sell two copies. No one would even talk about it. Like, that's the one good thing I could say about Wonder Woman 84, was at least people were talking about it. It's at least a success from what they wanted, so... Good, good on them, I guess. I watched Wonder Woman 84 with a couple of friends, and we all had a great time. I think new subscriptions to HBO Max uh, had a price increase, too. So they, they pulled a fast one before releasing it. Yeah, they did, and they got rid of the free trial. They just all around it a, a good business move there. Yeah. I hope it pays off through this whole year. <laughs> we'll see, I, I think I it's guess. pretty clear that Soul's probably winning this, even though it was kind of like, yeah, Soul. It was a Pixar movie. But maybe the Pixar movie is the best here. Inside Out, but a little bit better. Like, a little bit. I don't know your stance on Inside Out, but... It was, like, number 13 or 12 on my list. How are we doing so far, guys? How's our uh, Fox ranking going? So we've got number 12, Project Power. Number 11, Tenet. Number 10, Wonder Woman 84. Number 9, Mank. Number 8, Mulan. And we are between You Can't Kill David Arquette and the way back for number seven. I would I would just like to say, Jory, we spent all this time and Mulan just now got placed. You guys can't make decisions without me, huh? That's not even what the case is. I just wanted to make sure. Mulan was just forgotten about. I wanted to make sure we wanted to talk about how bad Disney's uh mo- or money... Uh, wow, hold on. Disney's money. <laughs> Disney money. Disney's business model. Yeah, Disney's business model, thank you, Alden, was, uh, was in 2020. Oh, yeah. Awful. The parks are open. And uh, continues to be in 2021. We're still waiting on Black Widow. (laughs) Yeah, that's been over a year. Isn't WandaVision coming out like in a week? It comes out like tomorrow. Between The Way Back and You Can't Kill David Arquette, uh, two actors that I like a lot coming back. (laughs) I don't have strong feelings about either. And I know Josh has very strong feelings about you can't kill David Arquette. So I'm fine if the way back goes here. I'm fine with that too. The way back actually pissed me off as a movie. I thought I had a horrible take on alcoholism and recovery. Honestly, as the the plot in the script are literally a lifetime movie that they got an an A-list actor to star in. It pisses me off that this movie exists, honestly. It looks like it would be in the Boomer Food tier. Shout out to the Rankin Bass. (laughs) (laughs) It is a Boomer tier movie. Uh Uh-oh, sorry guys. WandaVision is coming to Disney Plus on January 15th. I was right. Yeah, I didn't care, but I knew it was soon. If it was available for all of us to watch together, I would have been a little hyped for it because I'm probably going to see the first episode at least. We should probably commentate that, actually. That'd be a meme. Number six. Allegedly you can't free. kill David Arquette. Hell yeah. Can't kill him. The sixth best film of the year. He survived all the screen movies. Soul number five. Yep, and Soul will take the top five. One of the best movies of the year. And now it's time for the four Marys. The Vast of Night, The Sound of Metal, Hamilton, and Host 2020. I don't want to say it. I kind of want Hamilton to be the last one here. I didn't want to be the one to say it, but I agree. I also agree. Yeah, Hamilton could be number four. It's a great recording of a Broadway musical, but it doesn't like add anything new. It's not a movie per se. It's just not a movie. A recording of a Broadway musical. Yeah, I'm really, really happy we included it on this list. (laughs) (laughs) What? Five places over Mank? Yeah, thanks, guys. (laughs) Nobody made you marry Hamilton. (laughs) You could have married Wonder Woman. 
<laughs> I'm not marrying Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> I'm not I'm not marrying the most pro-Israel superhero movie ever made. I like that scene where um Pedro Pascal get like is like what to do now and he's like can you take me to the nearest oil? <laughs> <laughs> Buys oil in Egypt and sells it to Saudi Arabia. It makes no fucking sense. I was a businessman doing business oh my god <laughs> okay max lord is one of the best characters of 2020 i think it's very interesting that in our top three we have two horror movies as this was a noticeably horrible movie for horror movies horrible year yeah horrible year for for, for horror movies honestly though might be a good thing the genre got a little oversaturated. I think it needed a break. I might agree with you on that one. Well, there was Antebellum. Yeah, wasn't that panned as like one of the worst movies of the year, though? The twist ending is literally the same as M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, but instead of it being like this little secret society village, the whole movie is like a horror movie, but about slavery. The whole movie is a twist that they're on a Civil War reenactment site where these characters have been slaves in the modern world because they are just randomly on this plantation that still abides by uh, fucking 1860 rules. Sounds like it's in the worst possible taste. Not entertaining either. Not a good horror movie. Like, honestly, from top to bottom, everything you said about that was, because I didn't know what the movie was, but, like, a horror movie about slavery? Like, guys, a genre that's notable for being exploitive. We're gonna we're gonna make a slave movie about that. Okay. So anyway, the top three movies of the year are Host, The Vast of Night, and Sound of Metal. Between Host and Vast of Night, I really enjoyed both of these movies. Shout out to Josh for recommending Host to me. A found footage horror movie. It's an entire horror movie done over a Zoom call. I think we were like looking up like movies in 2020, and like I I think it was on Esquire's top 30 movies of the year, something like that, and it was in the top 10. And a movie like Unfriended is in the top 10. And I got so curious, so I checked it out, gave it a rent on Amazon Prime, and, like, was really surprised, like, how good it was. I don't want to even spoil it, because it was just cool to not know what the, like, at the after credits were. That was also really neat to have. Just check out Hosts. Like, it, it turned out to be, like, a really... uh interesting film that kind of kept me uh on the edge of my seat for a while yeah i do think it was a very very strong script and you could tell that like the person directing it was not like the case with like unfriended where they're just like catching on to a trend and they're going to try to find a way to make a teenage targeted like horror movie about it to sell tickets it was like they had this idea first and then they were like oh let's do this like through the medium of a film to tell this story and I think that it was pretty well done. I wasn't ever really like scared or creeped out, but I did like buy into that I was just watching someone's screen. Like I, I felt that it was realistic enough where the suspension of disbelief left, but I was never personally like actually creeped out by this. In the beginning, um, with the with the medium, which is like the the plot of the story is they're on a Zoom call with a medium, kind of a little creeped out. I think they set up really well where like they didn't even like she had like the creepy background behind her, but they didn't comment on it until like ten minutes in. I think that was just kind of like cool where they like because like if it was like an unfriended movie, they would instantly like comment on that or instantly make it apparent. It was more it was more subtle. And uh, the movie was just paced really well. Yeah, I do think it was pretty impressive how decent the acting was, too. Uh, granted that, you know, it's kind of like, it's not necessarily like a one take, but it's like these long, continuous conversations where the characters are talking like it's a real conversation. It's not, yeah, it's not like this cheesy 
dialogue like an unfriended where they're all clearly sitting in like the same house and can hear each other in real time and they're just saying these things with no resistance like no latency at all all right hands up who's doing this and like what it does better than unfriended too is like i believe all these people are friends they all have chemistry with each other also like the movie takes place like in 2020 like they recognize that they all they're all like under quarantine or like in lockdown which is uh interesting too definitely a good time capsule like horror movie you can tell it was like a quarantine project that actually had some like thought and care put into it mm-hmm. that being said i think the vast of night is a far superior movie but i do think that this is actually deserving of the top three yeah i haven't seen the vast of night so i can't really uh debate it but it's like i thought host was just like a cool little little like like you said a time capsule for 2020 so i'm glad it it made it this far yeah i personally love like alien ufo kind of movies and we don't normally get too many of them uh like there's been a few that have been really good like fire in the sky and then there's been a lot that are just like hokey and cheesy and so seeing one that was like handled well and there's like whole scenes of these characters just reacting to someone else talking on the radio and it's like you're almost listening to a podcast for like 15 minutes as this person's telling a story of like an alien encounter and it's so atmospheric and feels like really period accurate but also like stylized and it's not like nostalgic in the same way where stranger things you know it's oh it's the 80s we've got to have everyone in fucking bright neon leg warmers and crank up some you know some duran duran because this is the 80s like the cars and the set decorations and the wardrobe and the dialogue all feels very late 1950s early 1960s accurate and this whole movie uh, kind of has this like bookend segment that feels reminiscent of like the twilight zone Mm. it's set up like this is just one episode of like a 1960s show like the twilight zone thought that that was interesting and i really want to see more what the writers and director and producers have to do going forward if they're going to keep doing these like interesting takes on period horror uh especially if there's different like monsters different elements or if they somehow connect them uh if some hack like jj abrams got his hands on this you could have easily made this another cloverfield movie but the fact that this was so well done and orchestrated in the way that it was and then has an actual payoff too because like there's a lot of slow burn horror movies like this that they have these chilling scenes or whatever and then the ending is just like an abrupt like cut to black and it's like oh it's up to your interpretation no they they show you everything the miniatures and the practical effects in this movie are fucking awesome this this was a great surprise for me and i personally think it it deserves post i uh i just looked at a picture of the director for the vast of night and uh his hair and beard combination alone makes me want to put it above host paul racy is actually is really good in this movie too craig i hope you understand that between the vast of night and sound of metal sound of metal is just an all-around better movie i think more people would like it and appreciate it in the same way that uh nerds like me from the midwest like uh nicholas rohrman and myself really appreciate in vast of night i think more people get out of sound of metal whether whether they be artists or whether they be uh differently abled people i think there's actually like a good story here and a good message behind a pretty dark kind of character piece yeah this film's not like an easy watch but i do think its messaging is is pretty clear and somewhat inspirational although it, i mean it is it's not like a fucking coming of age sports movie this, this is kind of a, a dark story yeah the ending especially is it's not a gentr- it's not a gentrified take on metal you know yeah no it's hard to talk more about it because i know that our 
uh, other panelists haven't seen this movie and I really want them to. So like I'm trying to say as little as possible about it while still hammering home that I do think that this is the best movie of 2020. If you guys believe in that so much, then maybe it's got to be because as much as I like Host, I don't I don't fully believe that's the best film of 2020 or anything. Certainly one of like the surprise surprise hits of the year, though. I mean, it was a lot better than I had any expectations of it to be. (laughs) Why is this so good? Well, here it is. The scorching hot take. The top 12 movies of 2020, according to Duel of the Takes. Number 12, Project Power. Number 11, Tenet. Number 10, Wonder Woman 1984. Number 9, Mank. Number 8, Mulan. Number 7, The Way Back. Number 6, You Can't Kill David Arquette. Number 5, Soul. Number 4, Hamilton. Number 3, Host. Number two, The Vast of Night. And number one, Sound of Metal. Well, I might have been disappointed with some of your guys' decisions on what you killed and fucked, but I will say we did end with a good movie, so at least we have one good movie in our top 12 in the proper positioning. Honestly, honestly, I think our top five is solid. We got the two normie picks at four and five, and then the, we have the three that all three of us kind of have a movie in that top three that we really fuck with. All of us, yeah. Except for Alden. <laughs> Alden. What movie do you think is missing from our top five personally? What was one of the best movies you saw this year? Man. Is it Scoob? It's either Scoob or the half of it. (laughs) And that's not saying a whole lot. I know half the cast have had a half of it personally, and I agree. I really like both of those. But I I can't, in good conscience, place it above the top two that we have here, even though I haven't seen them. I think The Vast of Night is definitely a style of movie that I would enjoy a whole lot. Sound of Metal, just I love the actors in it. I think it's also something I would love. So I don't know. I'm going to make a little confession. I did kind of fuck with Unfriended. So if this is that executed even better, then I'll probably also fuck with it. Yeah, confession time. When I first saw Unfriended, I did like it. The hand in the blender scene in Unfriended is so fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Why were they friends with that dude who like that fat nerd that knew how to program computers and like go through like net running and stuff it doesn't make any sense (laughs) it doesn't it's so good i have never seen two pretty best friends one of them always got to be ugly thank you (laughs) i really appreciate that uh host was first released in saudi arabia we're banned there we are banned there yeah it's because of our scorching wonder woman 84 takes it's because we want to sell oil to them (laughs) it's because we want to take oil from egypt a country that is notorious for being part of the middle east and not having any oil and selling it to saudi arabia the biggest oil mining country in the middle east is it bad Ever since Wonder Woman eighty four, I'm more excited for I'm more excited for Rogue Squadron now. <laughs> no, that's not bad. Uh, that's fine. If the movie could be a giant meme, I'm all for it. I don't think she's gonna like inherently do a bad job. I think there will be probably just as much or more studio intervention than Wonder Woman eighty four. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the video or whatever patty jenkins talking about what's ward squadron but she's talking she was talking to it like that it was like her passion project like how her dad was a pilot in that i i am looking forward to it oh that's true i did see that 
Yo, Rogue Squadron might be like my next favorite Star Wars project because I think I mentioned Josh at least a little bit before, but like ever since like the prequels introduced midi chlorians and stuff, I kind of found the Jedi lame and was like, but I could still be a pilot. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying is I think Rogue Squadron could be the Red Tails 2 we've wanted since 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Red Tails 1 stopped racism. Red Tails 2 is going to stop sexism. Watch out for our uh, watch out for our Star Wars Squadrons uh, Let's Play while watching <laughs> Rogue Squadron. Is there any movies on this list? Like, because now I'm looking at Nate's stream that um, anybody really wanted to talk about. Alden, I know you had a screeching take of We Can Be Heroes. Well, I don't know if it's a hot take. The movie's probably garbage. Yes, you said it was the worst movie you've seen in the last five years, at least. At least, at least. What's well, what Pedro Pascal's late 2020? Uh, my my guess for him being in this is that when robert rodriguez showed up to film the mandalorian probably sometime last year oh that's true yeah he probably asked him to show up on this which might have been filmed either at the end of last year or at the beginning of this year possibly in the middle of quarantine who knows who cares it doesn't matter this movie sucks wait a second it's worse than uh the emoji movie i haven't seen the emoji movie but i'm gonna go out on a huge limb and say yes very much it probably is the emoji movie wasn't even that bad i'm just looking on lists of like the worst movies of the 2010s and i'm like i feel like there have been some really bad bad movies that came out in the last five years here's the thing right is i've seen not a whole lot but some uh made for kids movies uh in the last decade and none of them have even come close to being this horrendous not even made for tv movies nothing has been this bad it was so hard to watch i had to force myself to get through it you hear that a sequel already got greenlit yeah i did and i'm pissed about it because there's no reason for it like the fact that you're gonna use a almost i think it's like a 15 year old uh ip and then instead of bringing it back you just destroy it that's not even what pisses me off i i can care less if they just use shark boy and lava girl as like oh i have these characters i'll use them it's nothing was even close the entire idea of this movie is nothing compared to shark boy and lava girl this movie doesn't have good pacing in the slightest it just sucks or why isn't it called shark boy and lava girl 2 is it not about them it's not about them like in the slightest yeah shark boy doesn't have a line he doesn't say a single word so it's kind of just like in the same universe as yes well no the universe seems to be very different than what was introduced in shark boy and lava girl the two characters exist that's all i can tell why would they ruin their own canon Dude, I don't know. Sharkboy and Lava Girl was practically directed by his five-year-old kids, so... Like, they were just dream characters, right? So, like, theoretically, anybody could dream about Sharkboy and Lava Girl. We Can Be Heroes brought an entire world of, oh, there's heroes in here, and we have an Avengers-type organization. Wait a second. David Arquette played Max's dad in shit the adventures of shark boy and lava girl you cannot kill david arquette remember the uh the remember the hidden story arc in shark boy and lava girl where his parents are going through a sloppy divorce oh yeah the best part of the movie no the best part of the movie is where they go to like candy land and shark boy sings the song dream 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 your eyes shut your mouth dream a dream and let us out the devil all the time which was devil may cry the devil may cry all the time a movie um um, that wasn't placed on this list, but probably my personal favorite movie of the year. You guys may have criticisms on it, but this 
I think it's Tom Holland's best movie. I actually really liked him in the role. I I wasn't really a huge fan of Tom Holland as an actor, and I thought he was just going to get typecasted for the rest of his career post Spider Man. But I liked him in the movie. Um, Robert Pattinson, I thought, was a really fucking a big meme, and uh, Dudley Dursley is a bigger meme. Yeah, he is. I like that. I like that the movie took its time too with the with the backstory. I thought the uh, flashback was going to be like five minutes tops, but it it was a big portion of the movie. It was some of my favorite parts of the movie. I would agree if I thought that it was really important to the rest of the story, but from like it always like rung to me as really literary. And then when I was watching it, Nate brought up that it was based on a book, and I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like a slapped up uh, adaptation rather than like something that was actually written for the screen i thought there were a lot of like really great scenes and i like how like breakneck speed the first like 20 minutes are you really get kind of engrossed into this like world and like how evil this like little town can be and there's like these underlying themes of corruption and religion then you see that exemplified with uh robert pattinson's character which is arguably the highlight of the movie i would probably say it is like without a doubt the highlight of the movie These organs. delusions delusions <laughs> so everybody else can have the good meat thought it was a great little little film but i wouldn't if i was making a top 10 or top 12 movies of the year it might not even make my list all we was doing was spending time with the lord i thought the narration was like the voiceover was like laughably bad it was the it was as bad as the original cut of blade runner i was waiting for sam elliott to just show up at the end and be like hey spider-man <laughs> <laughs> i like your style dude the dude abides i guess i want to talk about the old guard yeah the other pro-israel movie on this list you probably should alden you've been hyping this movie up for by weeks now i feel like i don't think i've talked about it since it came out oh yeah this movie exists oh uh big d is also in this oh my god this dude this dude who's in it uh matthias something looks exactly like vladimir putin yo it's russian christmas happy russian christmas um anyway what's your what's your take on the old guard alden it's entertaining I like the idea of it, and I like one of the characters in it. It's super cliche, almost every part of it. It definitely feels like it should have been released somewhere between 2010 and 2015. It being released in 2020 is super off-putting. It seems dated. It, it just it doesn't feel right at all. I agree. She plays the character really, really well for some reason like she definitely went hard with uh with this character or she's just that good of an actress that she made this weird movie fine with her character charlie's throne yeah that sounds like charlie's throne for you i mean i i thought that this movie was like a fun little watch i think this came out in like june or something right in the middle of the summer yeah you know i was still like quarantined and i was like you know this is probably going to be something to watch yeah i totally agree this felt like a script from about 10 to 15 years ago that was just being made into a movie so seeing it like this year was just so odd but i do agree Charlize theron was great in the movie i i would say the movie itself is like fine uh it, in some situations it, it i mean hell it could have made top five on this list judging on how, on how things went because i thought soul was also fine it didn't bring anything new to the table except like Charlize Theron in another good action movie performance but 
it's no atomic blonde it's no mad max fury road i don't know why they're making a sequel they're making a sequel netflix greenlit a sequel at least Aaron has not confirmed if she's in it so who knows that would be it probably sucks it did really well for them it was number it was number one on their top 10 for like three weeks people expect a lot from her i think we have to talk about the next elephant in the room the obvious best movie of 2020 that didn't make it on this list sonic yes (laughs) of course sonic the hedgehog i still haven't seen it speaking of movies that feel like they should have come out like 20 25 years ago actually you wait you know what the academy better give them better give sonic at least the nomination for special effects the fact that their creators had to go in and redo the model i feel so bad for them seeing as how the academy treated the uh the cats animators last year i highly 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 doubt that'll happen but i mean yeah but that's this was a good change fix cats no they did fix cats did they anyways nate this is neither here here nor there you're trying to argue that cats (laughs) the patch fix it more than the Sonic movie which is just demonstrably not true I'm just saying that I don't think the Academy Awards even cares about visual effects artists I just think they care about high budget movies that have a large amount of visual effects that do well but we didn't we didn't we didn't have any of those that we didn't have any of I, I know that's what I'm saying can I finish my fucking sentence I said I guess Sonic will qualify in that degree thank you all right well I really liked Ewan McGregor and Birds of Prey that was about it though yeah too bad Birds of Prey was like a five out of ten movie yeah the action sequences were surprisingly good in comparison to Suicide Squad, and I didn't... And I thought the uh, choreography was really good in them as well. In particular, the last one was extremely bad. The uh, cinematography was miles better than Suicide Squad's. You know what it felt like, though? It felt like in all aspects of production, everybody except you and McGregor was just getting really tired. Like, as the movie went on, it felt like production quality was dropping by the minute. It did feel like... An all-female Deadpool movie. I don't know. I think the beginning was actually funny. I saw a YouTube video about that where, like, Harley Quinn has, like, this Deadpool Jack Sparrow syndrome where, Quinn, I think this happens with a lot of main characters and big blockbusters where you see the success of, like, that, like, charismatic, funny character in, like, a Jack Sparrow or a Deadpool And the characters, even though they don't really act like that, start acting like that. It's especially prevalent with a character like Harley Quinn, who has pretty much lost her identity since the Batman animated series and Batman Beyond and anything that came from those original creators of her have like taken a backseat from her because they really don't know what they want to do with Harley. Currently, their most successful bid is the show that uh, the animated series that DC Universe originally produced that has since moved to HBO Max, which is pretty good. That show's pretty fun. Yeah, but I think that it still has the issue of like them going with the modern rendition of Harley, which I do think is a weaker character, despite the fact that they're trying to write her to be a stronger one. I didn't get to watch this movie yet, but it's a movie I think I would really like. I think Nate's definitely got to talk about I'm thinking of ending. Yeah, yeah. um, Personally, for me, I've always been a huge, huge, huge fan of Charlie Kaufman's writing. Being John Malkovich is one of my favorite movies, uh, at least one of my favorite screenplays. And I think 
think that when he and Spike Jones were like working together, uh, Spike Jones would direct movies that Charlie Kaufman had wrote. Their dynamic was always fantastic. And then Spike Jones wanted to start writing his own movies and they kind of split ways. And then Spike Jones made some great movies like Where the Wild Things Are. And he made um, her. Yeah, he made some great projects without Kaufman. I've been waiting for Charlie Kaufman to get the opportunity to make a good movie on his own. And he did make Synecdoche, New York, which is very similar to this movie in terms of like themes and in terms of like i guess like existentialism but i didn't really vibe with that movie for me it just it had a couple of great performances but it was just a little too like pretentious and it didn't really feel earned but this movie i can finally say charlie kaufman has made a masterpiece both as a writer and as a director which just feels really good to say because I feel like he's one of the freshest minds in Hollywood. He had a very, very, very hard time funding this movie for some reason. And it had a budget of like $3 million. It's not a big movie at all. And I think in terms of it meeting its purposes, I think to do a movie that is this existential and this kind of like dark and bleak in its tone and in its subject matter and in what the story is really about, it's all in the title. It does a really good job of not being nihilistic. It it actually has some really like heartfelt and emotional scenes. And uh, all four of the main characters in this film's performances could be up for an Academy Award. I'm not joking. I think that this entire cast was fucking phenomenal, but it would never get the attention of a major outlet like that. It's just too niche. It's too avant-garde. I think Charlie Kaufman's truly one of the greatest minds working, and I cannot wait to see what he makes next. I have friends that have watched this movie four or five times. They keep going back to it. And in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of like perfect for a year like this because it's such an introspective and heady movie that you can turn on and waste three hours watching whenever you want. Originally gave it like an eight or a nine uh out of 10 or a four and a half stars on my letterboxd the more i think about this movie the more and more i think it's just a solid 10 out of 10 5 out of 5 masterpiece it's actually that good have you uh looked at the book at all the interpretation of that story is different for everyone i guess and um i had a lot of friends that were reading it in preparation for this movie i do want to give it a, a read but what i think is interesting is kaufman takes the source material and then makes a very, very clear decision on what the book means, but still has his decision in directing this film be ambiguous to the audience in the same way that the book is ambiguous. Although the way he told the story is more, this is what happens. So I thought that that was interesting because you can kind of speculate about what the meaning of the book is and what the meaning of the film are separately, but also in the same way. Another layer into like the brilliance of this adaptation. Yeah, I've been wanting to check this one out for a while and I've just drug my feet on it completely, but definitely going to be checking it out tomorrow. It's the pretentious film nerd movie of the year. Awesome, I need to watch it. <laughs> I've heard people call it the, uh, the get out for white people. So take that for what you will. What does that mean for me? <laughs> that That is what the trailer looked like, in all honesty. Because, like, the main premise of the movie is, like, Jesse Plemons is taking this, like, girl home to, like, meet her parents. And, like, that's what the movie starts off as. Um, so, like, the trailer did look very much like this is the white people version of Get Out. But the fact that some people on the M2J2 project feel, still feel that sentiment after watching the movie just shows how this movie isn't for modern audiences, isn't for mainstream 
superhero movie loving individuals interesting except for mike speranzo yeah mike is based mike has always been based we've been looking into stealing him <laughs> mike would be a good fifth we wouldn't need to worry about tiebreakers anymore yeah no i'd be down for mike i love mike uh we talked about onward in our pixar ranking i think it's the best pixar movie of the year interesting i thought bill and ted face the music was a pleasant surprise i wish i felt the same way <laughs> i thought it was good like it's not as good as the first two bill and ted movies but the humor is about on par with the first one yeah, I didn't really expect it to be near the first two. I don't know. My expectations weren't high, so. No, mine weren't either. I think for me, what it was, was I watched this movie so much later than everyone that I heard people saying that, that was like, oh yeah, it's at least on par with the first one. Like, it's pretty good. It's nothing like fantastic, but it's like a nice thing that this happened. And then when I went to watch the movie, I was extremely disappointed i was like damn maybe i should have just let it occupy the space in my mind that it did before because i i did not like bill and ted 3 and i wish i did thought it was great i think it was the movie that we kind of needed when it came out what was that like july or august it was just kind of like a little comedy a throwback to some like old movies that i think a lot of people appreciate at least mm -hmm. i saw the few weeks after we saw Tenet. Yeah, I know Bogus Journey got um has like a cult following now and then the first movie also has kind of uh, a following of people that are probably more nostalgic for it than we are. I thought this was fine. It felt like uh like everyone that was working on it like cared about the project at least enough where it didn't feel like it was uh, a dumb and dumber two situation where it's just like oh the studio thinks that this could be profitable so here we are we're making the second one 15 years later like zoolander 2 or all these garbage movies that get a sequel like all these garbage comedies that get a sequel this one at least like felt like they cared about it and liked those characters and thought that there would be something interesting to go back to mm -hmm. yeah it never felt cynical it doesn't hold a candle to the original two not like not even close but I, it was fun i like that it, it came out like i'm glad we got to see it i like the two daughters that play bill and ted's uh daughters yeah they were good i wish that their storyline was strong enough to support them though because i feel like after they recruit uh like mozart to their band of like greatest musicians in like history it kind of like fall off with it where like the original bill and ted like has a lot of fun like getting like historical characters that it's like everybody knows but like they kind of fall into a little bit of obscurity and i feel like that's not as fun yeah it had a strong start to that subplot yeah like Jimi hendrix and like louis armstrong going to get mozart like that's that's cool i think that that's really fun but then it kind of just tapers off can't forget kid cuddy the artist of our generation <laughs> apparently who's like a futurama harlem globetrotters genius that's a pretty based take like honestly kid cuddy's really good <laughs> <laughs> imagine if it was like chance the rapper or like someone that's garbage you know like at least they were kind of based it could have been chris brown okay <laughs> oh god i'm surprised that uh they never made a joke where it was like bill and ted are like who the hell is kid cuddy <laughs> he must be from like the distant future man uh no he's from 2009 they get a keanu reeves cyberpunk character <laughs> wake the fuck up samurai I've got myself to say. Thanks to Cyberpunk, I, I have a lot of new artists I listen to. I can very briefly talk about the trial of the Chicago 7. I, uh, in very similar way to Charlie Kaufman, I think that Aaron Sorkin's a pretty, pretty decent writer, pretty uh, one-of-a-kind, unique mind. I think the way he writes dialogue and this kind of like witty banter between people is always great. Seeing him do a, like a court drama was 
uh, interesting. I mean, he's done a lot of great ones before. He wrote A Few Good Men. You know, it's what he got his start doing. So also seeing him direct something like that was also good. This is light years better than his last directed movie, um, which I believe was Molly's Game. Uh, this was definitely a stronger film than that. The, the third act of this movie is so odd. It, he kind of does like a Tarantino-esque rewrite of history at the end, which in a controversial, like not necessarily biopic, but like historical drama about a real event that happened within like modern audiences lifetimes, uh, pretty fucking bold. And then it ends in like the most like sentimental and cheesy way ever. It almost just feels like, like historical revisionism more so than it does like a bold and like witty take. Yeah, that was wild, but it had a lot of great performances. Definitely entertaining. I'm happy it was like a straight to Netflix thing. I can't imagine this doing well in theaters. So it being something that people can just turn on at home. Megan watched it like months before I did. She really liked it. I, I give it a soft recommend. If you just want to watch like a court drama, it's good. It's well-written. Should it just be called a uh, trial of the Chicago seven? Should it lose the, the is, uh, Eddie Redmayne back to like good movies. He's good in it. I mean, it's not like he's the main character. <laughs> like he's he's in it. I wouldn't say it's like on par with him get Academy Award nominations back to back. I would be surprised if anyone in this movie got an Academy Award nomination, but what do I know? There's not a lot of competition this year. That's true. Fuck it. James Marsden, Sonic the Hedgehog, you win best picture. <laughs> best picture, not best actor. <laughs> It's just a picture of James Martin's. Tenet! Tenet, you won Best Picture! He goes up and he's like, uh, uh, thank you, uh, I really wish that you had nominated me for my favorite feature that I've been in X-Men Days of Future Past. <laughs> uh, speaking of X-Men Days of Future Past, do we want to shit on the New Mutants anymore? It barely got talked about in our X-Men ranking. I haven't seen it and... I'll have you know that I have not seen the New Mutants. I said it was the worst X-Men film when I left the theater, but when once we finally got to the X-Men rankings, I, it, it got a bit higher, not that much. Yeah, X-Men Apocalypse was worse. X-Men Apocalypse is Kino! I'm with Nate on this one. You know, that whole scene where Oscar Isaac is saying, no more weapons, no more superpowers, come on. The movie feels, uh, New Mutants, not, not X-Men Apocalypse. The movie feels, um, very studio interference poorly edited it's all like the it, it's like has all like the bad things about a superhero movie we've seen over the years when it comes to your spider-man 3 your wonder woman 84 your director switching with ant-man it's like a combination of everything and it's all the bad things and it's just there so what you're saying is hashtag josh boone cut <laughs> yes for a movie where like not a lot happens i don't know why the studio was so involved with this movie it's there's yeah barely yeah. anything going on it's a lot of dialogue it's like dream sequences there's like sort of a half-assed action sequence at the end and then it's over remember when this movie was supposed to come out while we were in college i remember the first trailer when we were when we were seeing thor ragnarok <laughs> november of 2017 uh did anyone else see borat subsequent movie film i saw the clip of rudy giuliani i did not see it at unfortunately it's okay i really like the first borat and i also really like bruno really excited when this got like a real soft announcement and 
and like where people people were talking about like there was like a leak and there were some like behind the scenes images that were leaked and then there was like an announcement and then there was like two weeks in a trailer and then they're like oh it's gonna be out in like three days and you're like holy fuck that was exciting in the movie it's not gonna age as well as the first to Sasha Barrett Cohen comedies at all. It's so dated to this year. It's kind of cringe almost. It's definitely going to be cringe in 10 years. It felt like they put it out like two weeks before it would be irrelevant. Yeah, if they even waited till the election, because that's when it was originally supposed to come out was during election week. And then they were like, whoa, 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 we should slow our roll. And then they put it out in like September or October or something. It was like a whole month earlier than they were originally going to. And then they said that it was the leaks were the reason that they wanted to put it out sooner or whatever. Um, It's funny. It's like a good watch. The scripted stuff gets like a little too heavy handed at times which there's none of that in the first two movies it's like so fast and like breakneck with like one hidden camera bit after another and this just kind of like eventually got funny and then stopped being funny and then went on for a little while and then had a good twist ending the rudy giuliani seems like funny but you like it's clearly like heavily doctored footage like it's edited to high hell so it's like all the kind of controversy and nuance that spun from it was like anyone who knows how to edit in premiere knows that oh that's a j cut and like they used audio from over there and put it there it's like it's not that controversial or shocking as much as the first two were this was kind of just sad but i liked it it's like a three stars i'd recommend it you don't have any moments like that rodeo guy saying that we're trying to hang all homosexuals in the united states exactly yeah all that kind of stuff where people say ridiculous things and you're laughing at america in the first two sasha barra cohen movies in both borat and bruno and then in this you're kind of like laughing at half of america you're laughing at the conservatives and that's fine because that's kind of who you're laughing at in the first one but it was like less targeted if that makes sense it was just like Look how generally dumb Americans are. It's not as obviously partisan as what subsequent movie film is. And that's fine. Like, obviously, it's fun to laugh at the Republicans. We did it all day yesterday and the day before. But I I don't know. This was fine. It was good. It's not going to age well at all. It's like the most fucking typical 2020 comedy you could do. And the fact that Borat's in it makes it a little better. I will say, having not seen it, the ad campaign they had for it was super successful. And that, I mean, they barely did anything. And all of it was, hey, there's a new Borat movie. And everyone was recommending it to each other. Yeah. Then they were like meeting up with like LA influencers and like Borat came to my birthday party. And then like members of the vlog squad are like, what the fuck is this guy doing it was interesting it was an interesting way to advertise this movie the david dobrik video was painful to watch i didn't watch it sasha barrett Cohen rolls up and they're like oh my god it's borat and he's like yes they told me that they would kill me if i did not come here <laughs> very clearly like depressed <laughs> hilarious that doesn't make any sense for like the advertising to me because like i feel like david dobrik's audience is like at most as old as we are and i was like six when the first borat came out <laughs> no what are they doing here like it seems like just an attempt to get a younger audience the trailer that i saw for it didn't really make it feel like a borat too but like i don't know if any of you are aware of the show that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has had for like the last couple of years called Who is America? It felt like it was the Who is America movie featuring Borat rather than a Borat 2. You're totally right. That's exactly what it is. You want to give us your scorching take on Black Bear? 
Uh, Black Bear. Uh, they had us in the first half, not gonna lie. The first, <laughs> the first half of this movie is like a student film comparable to the films that we helped make in school. I think that we might have made a couple of better ones, in fact. But then the second half of the movie takes a really interesting turn with it that recontextualizes what you saw in the first half. And while I don't think it's a masterpiece or even that what it's doing is that interesting, I think that it's still worth a watch. Uh, it runs a little bit long for what it is, but I think that it is uh, an interesting, I want to say think piece, but I think that might be being too generous. I gave it three stars and did not like it on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> Scoob? Who's part of Scoob gang? Is it me and Alden? Yeah, I'm part of Scoob gang. I, it was surprisingly better than I thought it would be. My expectations weren't like on the floor like they were with uh, some other movies this year. But I will say they did a very good job, especially picking a villain. I think choosing Dick Dastardly out of all of their uh, characters was pretty bold especially since nobody really knows who that is unless they grew up on boomerang rather than cartoon network oh yeah that was me i was very surprised how well the casting kind of turned out even though shaggy was a little lackluster compared to uh matthew lillard but whatever it didn't it didn't ruin the movie or anything it's just upsetting i think the story that they chose for this still isn't that bad but will forte like he doesn't really like hide his voice that much he does like half of a shaggy impression i'm pretty sure if i worked on my shaggy impression i could do this character like instead of being like like scoob he really brings it down to like scoob time out now i need to hear alden shaggy impression <laughs> like zoink scoob all right that was, that was pretty good actually i think it was bold for this movie to have zero percent of shaggy's energy in it all powerful being that is shaggy did not possess this film at all i was about to say the date did they even reference that at all? No. <laughs> that's an old meme now. There definitely was some like, uh, I don't know what to call it now, but like every animated movie that's like a comedy for kids has this like Lego movie humor. It has a dash of that. In fact, it has a pretty big dash of that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in there. Like a self-aware meta vibe. Absurdist, I guess is what I'd call it. Absurdist humor. Like there's a layer of like another Scooby-Doo movie. It was, it was... A toned down version of that I can agree with, yes. Did any of you guys watch The Five Bloods? No, but my mom loved it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm racist. We're about to all be called out as racist. Well, here's my take. This this movie, like thematically, is very, very good. Like what this movie is trying to say, what this movie says about greed and about capitalism and about how little has changed since the Vietnam War, and about the importance of black voices, and the injustices done to black people uh, in our country. All of those things are incredibly valid, but this might be the worst movie I've seen this year. Whoa. At least I can't think of one that was <laughs> this confusing and upsetting. For every great scene or theme or message in this movie, there is another really stupid scene of like lifelong best friends trying to kill each other over some gold that they stashed and hid it together in the middle of the Vietnamese rainforest. Whoa. So this movie is worse than Project Power. <laughs> this movie's three hours long. So Project Power is a little bloated and not a good script, but the fact that this movie has good ideas and very important themes in it, and like one of 
Chadwick Boseman's last performances. At least it wasn't his last. That's true. At least it wasn't his last. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is, and I had no motivation to watch it today. And I had all the time to do so. No, I have too much to do. But yeah, I didn't get to see The Five Bloods. Um, The Five Bloods. It's The Five Bloods. It's The Five Bloods, Josh. How does this rank like with the rest of like Spike Lee uh, recent films? Uh, recent films? I don't think it's better than Black Klansman. <laughs> no. Can you believe that the Academy Award gave the Oscar to Driving Miss Daisy twice? Right? <laughs> Up against Spike Lee twice? It's so mind-boggling. The man showed up to that. Bro, it was the same thing. I've been saying it since that night. Like, I was like, they're, they're doing it again, and nobody's going to call them out on it. Hold on. What, what year was that? Let me look at the best picture. 1989 versus 2018? Uh, 1990 and 2019 Oscars, I believe. But in terms of, like, an old boy or something like this, at least that this has Spike Lee's voice in it. The reason why I say this is such a bad movie is because there's a scene in this movie where I was actually, like, being brought to tears, but then I was just like, wait, an hour ago, this guy tried to kill his own son. I'm like, this This doesn't make any sense. Y'all are both wrong. Vice was uh, nominated for Best Picture that year. Ooh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, Roma's also here. Yeah, Black Klansman's the third best movie on this list. Roma was very, very good. I saw it fairly recently, like a couple months ago. Yeah, Vice should have won is what we're saying. Gotcha. It's just to me, like, if they're gonna pick a movie about race relations, why pick the softer one for no reason? Yeah. It's the Academy, yeah. I sort of got it in 1989. It's like, all right, that was anti based of you but it's like it's the current year <laughs> is there anything else on the broader list that we want to talk about movies of 2020 wise or did we did we accomplish our goal let me let me look at it real quick again artemis foul let's not talk about it did wait did anybody here finish artemis foul <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> we could do a commentary track for it and then i'd enjoy doing that maybe but i couldn't watch that alone i don't think i want to do that has anybody seen uh, hillbilly elegy uh no but i had a lot of friends who worked on it <laughs> i don't really have any motivation to watch it it doesn't look very good in my opinion i'm sure glenn close is good i'm sure what's her face is good uh not nicole kidman i did uh, really like the Invisible Man. I saw it at a drive-in during uh during COVID COVID's peak. I caught that one on demand probably in May or June, and I agree, Josh. It was surprisingly good. Yeah. Ooh, uh, Nate, did you ever see Feels Good Man? Yes, I did. I rented it for like twelve dollars on YouTube. Damn. Good documentary. Uh, one of the better ones of the year. It was really interesting how they told like the story and origin of Pepe the Frog. Um, and they focused on like the artist who made him instead of kind of the cultural zeitgeist for most of it, which was interesting. But then, of course, they obviously get to what we all associate with Pepe today toward the end of it. And it was pretty bold in the way that they uh, the way that they went about doing that and the way that they kind of uh, mentioned him becoming a uh, symbol of hate and this kind of alt-right, I guess, like emblem. The story of the origin and like the the interview with the, the artist was all very, very interesting stuff to me. And honestly, where I felt like the heart of the story was and then they kind of were just like, this is what people came to see. So let's like shoehorn this in at the end. And I think it was tastefully done. I would highly recommend watching it. I think it's coming to Hulu actually in like February or March. I would just watch it when it's somewhere for free or a rental or whatever. The uh, speaking of Hulu, um, another thing that got overhyped, we kind of said that about Hamilton, at least Hamilton deserved it. Palm Springs got a lot of hype for no 
big reason. Yeah, it has a couple of good scenes. Yeah, I re- I like the first half of the movie a lot. I do remember in like when this movie was coming out, there was like a huge push for it, like a lot of advertising. Like this felt like what a blockbuster should be getting in a quarantined world, but like it was just Palm Springs. And like I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast where he interviewed Andy Samberg, and it's he was like really excited about the film and that like it's cool that like an actor like this was definitely like maybe like a little bit of a passion project for him which i really do admire but i think the movie really falls flat as the movie like just goes on i just feel like it's such a like nothing movie and i don't mean to be like rude because like it might be someone's passion project but like the similarities to groundhog day are like unrelenting it's like it's fine if you're gonna like take like the, the main premise of like oh they're in a time loop it's just like groundhog day like lol that's fine you can do that yeah but then when you have like the same sort of redemption arc with your main character and then he does like the same kind of like romantic comedy he tries to fall in love with the girl and even that doesn't fix it it's like okay you're literally just the same movie but like a 2020 reskin i feel like this happens every time with an andy sandberg vehicle he's a good comedian he's a funny guy his his tv show brooklyn 99's decent both of the specials he had on hbo were hilarious yeah his stand-up's good his material on snl was always good um i like hot rod i like some of the movies he's done but everything he's done has either been a massive marketing campaign and then everyone's like it's great or it's been like this quiet release and it bombs it does horribly and it's just like there's nothing to latch on to the movie was such a nothing thing that got a lot of press because like oh my god there's an original movie being released in 2020 like a movie's coming out holy shit yeah we live in a world where this might be getting a best original screenplay nomination so brace yourselves i went pee what are we talking about palm springs i eat nothing at all i guess i kind of want to mention enola holmes just as it was surprisingly all right a fun watch that's all I have to say about it. Is um, Henry Cavill a better Sherlock Holmes than Benedict Cumberbatch? It's hard to say. They are two different Sherlock Holmes, and you don't see much of him. Is he a better Sherlock Holmes than Robert Downey Jr.? Potentially. Because Robert Downey Jr. is actually a good Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I agree. You'd have to see him in a bigger role as that character for me to make a good judgment, because he's really doing sherlock things for a few minutes who remembers the movie the call of the wild nobody (laughs) with harrison ford (laughs) that's the harrison ford cgi dog movie bro i saw posters for that in disney world before it shut down i remember uh going to like disney springs and the marketing was everywhere there bro i was in hollywood studios and it was across buildings huge billboards they really pushed that movie at the parks for some reason did that movie come out on disney plus i think it is on there yes like was that where it premiered it was pre-pandemic yeah it was like january yeah it was january february fuck you it's january go watch call of the wild no we're not fixing the simpsons um i saw on the rocks with my apple tv plus fucking free trial it wasn't good it was fine it was about as much of a nothing movie as springs oh no my apple tv runs out this month like bill murray and like sofia coppola working on a movie together you're like wow is this gonna be the next lost in translation and then it's just like rashida jones being paranoid that her husband's cheating on her and then bill murray like takes a more active role in her life because he's like her playboy dad and he's like yeah i think he is cheating on you and then he like they hang out together and like she has a more active lifestyle with him and then she's like 
oh wait my husband wasn't cheating on me and then the dad's like aha but i'm gonna go cheat on my next wife and then that's the end of the movie i feel like rashida jones being in anything is a big red flag it kind of is why why is she just so horribly used and utilized she's she's good she's a good actor yeah she wrote toy story 3 or 4 i feel like i've never like really liked her but i just recently saw her uh Alyssa got me for christmas a dvd set of uh uh freaks and geeks because that's currently available nowhere to purchase digitally or stream uh and she was like featured in an episode and i was like wait a second is that rashida jones <laughs> hey guys remember the king of staten island that also got a lot of fucking press like palm springs and now no one's talking about it yeah i didn't want to spend 20 bucks Oh yeah, I I wanted to see it, but but you know, not the twenty bucks thing, but the Pete Davidson thing. I forget who, but someone told me it was good and I should watch it, and then I didn't. Yeah, I never heard a bad thing about it. I always heard that it was a good movie, but I just don't like Pete Davidson. Remember this time last year, we all thought we were seeing Dune. I know. I feel empty inside. Dune has been taken from me. <laughs> it really has. I guess that that'd be a good way to segue us into a closing here. Uh, what is slated to come out in 2021 that will hopefully come out in 2021 that we are looking forward to seeing in 2021? Well, Dune. I'm really looking forward to Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, I am too. That too. That too. Ever since we saw that trailer, uh, when we saw Tenet, like that has been on my watch list. Like that movie looks incredible. That's one of the best trailers I've seen in a while. Jesse Plemons just raises his eyebrows like, wow. Probably the best trailer since Vice. <laughs> yeah. Although there's no The Man by The Killers playing. <laughs> That's true. I really want to see No Man Land, which technically is a 2021 movie, but because they like pushed the Oscar season or award season or whatever further up, it's like all those kind of movies are now getting a wide release in like February and March. So hopefully I can see that soon. That looks good. I really want to see No Man Land. I want to see uh, Minari as well. Yeah, that looks really good with uh, Steven Yuen. Uh, there's controversy with that movie already. Yeah. It's not getting a Golden Globe nomination because the main characters speak Korean, but the entire cast and crew is American. And it's nominated for foreign language film. It was produced in America, right? Like, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it is American. It's just the characters speak Korean. They're trying to nominate it for best foreign film. I had to uh, check some titles coming out, but Black Adam. Yeah, that's also coming out. It's allegedly a 2021 release. I really, 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 really hope that Adam Winger doesn't fuck up King Kong versus Godzilla. They've had three very good movies come out <laughs> so far. Uh, two of them maybe not so good, but Kong Skull Island was a fantastic surprise. And I really hope that they keep it going because... Like, they could just knock this franchise out of the park right here. Yeah, if this movie's good, there's potential for, like, big kaiju movies for, like, the rest of our lives. But if it's bad, we're going to have to go back to whatever J Japan's going to produce. Which, I mean, looking at things like Shin Godzilla, like, yeah, we'll be okay. But I would still like to be able to go to a theater in America and not have to read. There's actually... I guess a lot of these were supposed to come out this year, but whatever. I, I do want to see The King's Man. I think the trailer is fairly, uh, fairly good. I had no interest in the next Mission Impossible, but then I heard that audio. Of Tom Cruise yelling about the guy 
not wearing a mask. I remember Mission Impossible Fallout having one of like the most hype trailers of that year and then just not seeing it. Mission, Mission Impossible 7. There's been seven Mission Impossible. I mean, the last few have been like really good though. I mean, if they were starting to like like taper off in quality like i would be one thing but like these movies have been consistently good for a while henry cavill doing those like two punches in the trailer yeah he reloads his arms another one i'm looking forward to is um uh steven spielberg's passion project a remake of west side story still coming out for yeah unfortunately i'm excited for that i i have a feeling it's it's not gonna be as good as we hope it will be. Spielberg has gone back to his like old ways where he's getting like really like Kino on set again for this movie. Uh, if it's a passion project, he should be going hard. I feel like the biggest issues with like, like with um, Ready Player One, for example, is the source material. But I mean, in the case with a story like West Side Story, like already being like a rip of like Shakespeare, like I don't think that Steven Spielberg is about to fuck up. <laughs> Wait, what the hell? Did Peter Rabbit 2 not come out? No, it never did. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to the In the Heights movie. That trailer came out like this time last year, and that shit looked pretty good. That was supposed to come out in July, and then now it's coming to HBO Max in like a week, supposedly. The Hitman's Bodyguard's getting a sequel. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, that was confirmed like shortly after the movie came out. Are y'all excited for Minions, The Rise of Gru? Yeah, our audiences. <laughs> Nate, I know you're excited for this, and I'm excited for this. Halloween Kills. Would have preferred if it just came out softly, quietly in quarantine this October. It might be okay. It's probably not going to be good. But honestly, though, I had such a good theater experience with Halloween 2018. I, I hopefully will be able to see it in a movie theater because... Uh... I don't know. I, I think it could be good. A horror movie sequel, I think it is going to suck, is A Quiet Place Part 2. The best horror movie coming out next year might be Paw Patrol the movie. Uh, Sing 2's coming out. Actually, like, looking forward to the Mortal Kombat movie that's supposed to be coming out next year. I feel like that IP has, for a good while, like, been in such a good place with how self-aware it is of its cultural relevancy that them trying to make a movie about it now after the animated movie that just came out like a few months ago and got like pretty good reviews, like I think that this could be really good. James Wan is producing it, which is a good sign. I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of directors named James, uh, James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad might be the 2020s version of Scooby-Doo movie with that cast it's such a meme based cast and uh that little like behind the scenes snippet they did yeah i don't think it'll be bad speaking of action comedies too though uh nobody with um bob odenkirk is looking really good that does look surprisingly good coming out in february it looks like it's gonna be in like the same universe as the john wick movies which is interesting especially like given that it, it looks really different from what that is like north by northwest vibes but with like a modern action movie instead of a 60s action movie yeah and that sounds interesting in itself uh seeing bob odenkirk like fucking fight people looks funny <laughs> <laughs> christopher lloyd is also in the cast and i'm really really hoping they figure out a way to get him moving what do you guys think of spiral because i think that first trailer was kind of wild that that was even coming out yeah it's still it was one of my most anticipated most interesting picks for 2020 and because it didn't come out in 2020 it's still that way for 2021 i really want to see what this is the fact that 
both Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson are attaching themselves to a Saw movie of all things is so bizarre. Yeah, it sounds like just like what the fuck Hollywood, but if there's like actually a good story there, who knows? Uh, well, the story is actually by James Wan. Oh my god. <laughs> This could be Kino. It, I think it's going to be oddly similar to Batman 2021. Wait, the other screenwriter is Leigh Wanell, who did... Who also did Saw 1 with him. Wait, and he also did The Invisible Man and Upgrade. Yeah, it's like James Wan and Lee Wanell coming back to the IP that basically like gave them their careers and now post everything and post everything that they've both learned. Uh, I'm especially excited for James Wan coming back, who has like actually become like who I believe is the premier horror filmmaker today. Horror and action. He does it both. It's crazy. The dude's like an all the ultimate genre filmmaker. I know that you didn't really like uh, Aquaman too much, but I feel like uh, James Wan is one of my favorite working directors today just for coming out with entertaining films. He did Furious 7. That's right. He also like produced and directed the extremely underrated Swamp Thing show that DC Universe uh, came out with that I wish more people knew about. 2021, rather, is going to be a big year. So hopefully we have a lot more exciting movies to talk about. And who knows, maybe we'll actually get to see some of them in theaters. I would like to see No Time to Die in theaters. Oh, yeah. Did they announce what they're doing with that one yet? Uh, I don't know what they're doing with it. I just know it's 2021. Is uh is James Bond under the Warner umbrella? Nope. They showed the, uh, the new jerseys for Space Jam, and it looks... Okay. Yeah, the more I hear and see about Space Jam 2, the more I'm like, maybe Space Jam didn't need a sequel. I'm not going to watch it. I think they just waited too long. Like, I know LeBron just won an NBA championship, but I kind of wish they did this like in the Miami days when I feel like it was the peak of his popularity. All I'm saying, as long as they don't touch SpaceJam.com, the website that's been up and hasn't been changed since 1996, <laughs> I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I just went to it. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening and watching to this week's episode of Duel of the Takes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Duel of the Takes. Next week, we'll be making a tier list out of precedents from TV and movie history. If you want part in the discussion, check out our Instagram and Discord server. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for sponsoring today's episode. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.